Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. My guest on this week's show created one of the most complex, fully realized characters in television history. It's the role he was born to play, and soon he will step into his shoes one more time. Abbott, you know we just want you to be happy, right? Yeah, I know. Everybody wants me to be happy. Everybody wants to help me. But usually when they find out they can't, they get frustrated and stop talking to me. Or they trick me into buying them ice cream and then shove me into a clothes dryer, which I didn't want to happen with you guys, so I want to make sure that you felt like you could help me. The truth is, lots of girls like me because, let's face it, I'm pretty adorable. Mm-hmm. And uh, my aloofness unconsciously reminds them of their fathers, so... I'm more used to them approaching me. So we didn't damage your self-esteem or anything? Bert, I got self-esteem falling out of my butt. That's why I was willing to change for you guys. Because when you really know who you are and what you like about yourself, changing for other people isn't such a big deal. Abed, you're a god. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Danny Pudi as Abed from Community. That part on Dan Harmon's NBC sitcom, which launched in September 2009 and was perpetually on the verge of cancellation, has come to define so much of Danny's life and career. On the one hand, it's been a typecasting box that's been hard for him to break out of. But on the other, it's what helped him land his latest role in the Amazon Prime video rom-com, Somebody I Used to Know, co-written and starring his community castmate, Alison Brie, who you may have heard singing his praises on a recent episode of this podcast. Danny has always been such a fascinating comedic actor to me, so I was really excited to talk with him about what it has been like to become so closely associated with such a specific character like Abed, and how he has started to break out of that mold with his villainous role in the Apple TV Plus series Mythic Quest, and his really nuanced, quieter performance in Somebody I Used to Know. Of course, we also get into how he's feeling about returning to the role of Abed when the long-awaited community movie starts shooting, hopefully later this year. For real this time. Okay, here's me with Danny Pudi. Well, welcome to the show. I'm I'm so happy to have you here. I've been a fan of yours for so long, and uh, oh, we, we just had Allison Bree on not too long ago. Um, so we were talking about you know all of your work uh, together, including this new movie. Um, and she was just sort of giving her side of it of how much fun it was to be back uh, on set with you and sort of doing old bits and and getting to to play together again. So I figured we could start there. What was it What was it like for you to to reunite with your old friend on this uh, new movie? Somebody I used to know. Fantastic. Distracting. <laughs> um, joy fest, uh, a lot of old bits, uh, but just really refreshing. You rarely get a chance to truly work with uh, a friend that you've known for a long time. And uh, I was just grateful. Um, Allison and Davey wrote this role for me. And, uh, you know, Allison and I have maintained our friendship over the years. We um, got to know each other really well during filming of Community, but we haven't worked together on camera since then. And 
yeah, to be able to come back and uh, really just transfer our friendship and uh, the nonsensical nature of it to to camera was uh, it was it was just really fun, refreshing, and um, it was just um, especially during this time too over the last couple of years uh, when I think a lot of us have been doing a lot of reflecting and and um, it just felt really good. It just felt really good uh, to be able to come back and work together with someone that you. Um, know so well and trust so much it seems like whenever someone writes a character for you you must be looking at it and thinking is this how they see me is this is this who i am um unless it's a real stretch but i don't know how how much of a stretch this guy felt like for you but um what did you think when you read it and said oh this is this is what they wrote for me it was uh it was really kind of fun yeah because i think you do sort of you read it and originally it was written as danny so we decided to change the name okay to to apply one layer (laughs) two two on the nose uh, I have a good friend named Benny, so I was like, well, how about Benny? There's still sort of yeah, that, you know, um, the rhythm of the name, and it's close. Um, and then Allison and Davey asked me to grow a mustache. So oh. that was the other layer that was that added. That was their idea. Uh, that was their idea. Um, how I, did you I feel about that? Uh, excited. I thought, like, this would be kind <laughs> of fun, you know? Um, at first, I was like, are we doing a Western? Didn't really know. This was <laughs> last year. Uh, but then I was like, it fits, you know? It's set in Portland in the Pacific Northwest. and Right, yeah. So there's a hipster vibes. Definitely hipster vibes. They wrote Benny as um, just kind of having all these like really good fits, all these cool looks. And I was like, this actually really fits for the character. And um, so in terms of uh, what I thought, it was really nice because it really was a, in many ways, the spirit of our friendship is there. I guess the only difference is that I'm married with kids. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, but um, other than that, it was a lot of the spirit of Benny is, is I guess, with Danny. Uh, so that was, uh, it was fun to kind of tap into that. It seems like it was a very idyllic uh, scene that you were shooting in and, and up in, uh, as you said, in the Pacific Northwest. Um, what stands out from, from that experience of, of making, because it seems like one of those, potentially one of those sort of summer camp type uh, situations where you get to really be with these people for a, an extended period of time. I don't know how long the shoot was, but, um, but that you, you were all sort of up there in it together. That's exactly it. I, the, the setting really is a character in the film. Uh, we filmed uh, in and outside of Portland, Oregon, and Leavenworth, and um, in the autumn. We are we were also filming, you know, in 2021, where um, you know we still had all these um, pandemic, um, uh, I guess, precautions that we were taking on set. Right, yeah. And then all of a sudden, we were thrust into this wedding weekend, which <laughs> uh, was something that we couldn't really do during that time, uh, or many of us, you know. So it was nice to be able to kind of, to just all of a sudden jump into a crazy karaoke party in a bar, uh, go river rafting with a bunch of buddies, um, and golfing. We were doing all these things that, uh, were just really fun to do in this like really beautiful location. The setting is actually, like I said, it's a major part of the film and Dave and, um, our DP did a wonderful job of capturing it as the backdrop. And it, it felt like we were truly going on a, uh, reunion weekend with buddies um, mm. after a long time. And for me in particular, because I know Allison so well and Dave as well, um, that felt like just really special. 
Um, and then, you know, I, I think the mustache helped give me a little bit of extra warmth because I was cold a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I know you can probably relate. It just, it just raises your body temperature by about two to three degrees, which is really yeah, helpful. Yeah, it helps. It helps. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was going to say, I didn't know how well you know uh, Dave Franco, but obviously through Allison. And, and so now you're, you're being directed by him. What was he like as a director? Because I think this is only his uh, second move, second feature. Yeah, I've gotten to know Dave through Allison pretty well. He's a great guy, very talented, very specific. He gave us a playlist before we got to Portland, which was a tonally an idea of what to expect. With uh, And music's also a big part of this film. And I think that kind of helped us get into the spirit of the film and get an idea of what we're kind of looking to create mood-wise. Uh, I'm a big music fan, so uh, that that was really a nice gesture on his behalf to go what were some like, of those hey, songs that, that stood out to you on the on the playlist um let's see i mean there was definitely alabama shakes i'm a big alabama shakes mm -hmm, fan yeah. um let's see here i'm trying to think of like well obviously some charmed life or i blind yes. um there was a lot important of good, in the film yeah there was a lot of good 90s tracks that were on there um that uh, and i think part of the film is this idea of tapping into the past to kind of move forward. So there were some good nostalgic songs that were in there. And, um, and then in terms of just on set, he's, uh, Dave's very just, uh, gentle and clear in his approach, which was really nice. He gave everyone room, um, and space. And I think a large, uh, part of his, uh, preparation or work, and Allison's as well in advance was curating it and really making sure that they found the right people. And everyone is very unique and has a different rhythm and it kind of adds to it. So you knew, we knew when we showed up on set, everyone really was allowed to breathe within the role and, and find their version of it. And I think Dave did an awesome job with that. We also get to see some different shades of you. And this is something Allison told me as well, before I had seen the film, um, you know, that we, You've done a lot of comedy. Obviously, you're best known for community, probably. Um, and there's a lot of comedy in this movie as well. It is a rom-com. But this is a more grounded character in, in a way and has some more serious scenes. So was that exciting for you as well to kind of get that opportunity? Is that something that you haven't felt like you've been able to do quite as much um, you know, in the last 10 years or so? I would say, yeah. I think that's something that was really appealing to me is that in the chaos, I, it felt nice to have someone or play someone who is truly trying to apply rationality <laughs> and, and <laughs> not what you're used a, to not really i mean you, you know there's a lot of characters i played that are in some ways um have a lot of heart to them definitely out of heart and but this was uh, someone who's really struggling and you know he's coming off his own breakup and he's at this wedding and all of a sudden all this stuff is happening around him with his best bud and his old good friend and i think benny is just truly trying to make sense of it in a way that probably the audience would be as well. Uh, what would you do if all your buddies are creating this chaos around you and you're just trying to be a good friend, trying to be a good dude, trying to have a good time at a wedding and you know too much, too much information. Yeah, he's the only one who really knows, uh, knows everything that's going on. I too think. much. It's, uh, and, and like me, I'm not, a good, I'm not great at keeping secrets. I don't like the uh, bearing that responsibility. Um, you know, and I think that was nice to play someone who is stru truly struggling with how to be a good friend and just uh, trying to thinking he's going to enter this wedding weekend, um, having a good time and, and everything blows up around him. And then he's struggling, trying to trying to make sense of it, but also 
how much do you say? How much do you help people? What do you do? What is your, what is your role within this, uh, this uh, I guess, this tornado? So, uh, what are you gonna do about Ellie? You're considering this? No, I'm not considering this. Okay, because that was a long pause. No, you just misread the moment. I was just concentrating on the shot. Allison has also said that this experience on the movie really made her even more excited to get back into the community uh, world and, and do the, the movie that you guys are now apparently actually doing coming up, uh, I think. And I want to get to that uh, a little later. Um, but I thought what we could do is kind of go back and talk about you know how you got started in this whole comedy world um, in the first place and, and Hollywood and everything. Um, you... How, what were your, what were sort of your earliest uh, forays into the into this business? So it's hard to say. I guess it's hard to pinpoint one specific moment. I think uh, I can kind of take you way back in that I was on stage from a very early age. My mom and my grandparents uh, signed me up to be in this dance group as a as a child. Uh, I was in this Polish dance group. Um, I grew I grew up in Chicago, and um, you know my father's from India, my mother's from Poland. And um, I was surrounded by a lot of um, just different influences. Um, and um, one of those was Polish dance that I would go every Saturday with my brother and sister. And it was a chance to be on stage. And it was a chance to rehearse and to practice and to put together shows. And I didn't particularly love all of it. I didn't <laughs> every Saturday. But I learned to really appreciate and value the idea of rehearsal and uh, performance through that. And so over the years, I, I really started to uh, think about that as like kind of the start where I love being on stage. I like practice. I like uh, beginning, middle and end and um, uh, the repetition of it. Um, in high school, I started doing some comedy. I was doing a lot of the pep rallies in my school and I truly didn't really know what I wanted to be yet. I envisioned myself as like a sports broadcaster, um, something in, in that world, maybe in journalism. Uh, but I don't think I really believed in myself yet enough to think that this is possible. Um, in college, I auditioned for a play. I got cast in Godspell, and I started doing theater in college and had a wonderful theater instructor uh, who told me that this was possible for me. And it shocked me and uh, made me realize maybe I should actually pursue this thing. So uh, I went to Marquette in Milwaukee, and I did a lot of theater there. And that from there, that led me to Second City because um, Chris Farley went to Marquette. And I thought maybe I should follow this, this map. You know, I, I realized a lot of the people that I had idolized growing up had started in places like Second City uh, in Chicago, um, which I never really knew about growing up in Chicago. You never went I, I, as a kid or anything? No, never knew about it until um, until I went to Marquette and people started telling me about like, you know, there's this great place in Chicago called Second City where people like Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Steve Carell. And I was like, what? Uh, Chris <laughs> Farley, uh, um, this place exists. And so after college, I went to Second City. I think that's when I really started taking it seriously. Again, I just didn't really know what I wanted to do, but just watching them and seeing them like Amy Poehler and Tina Fey together and how they work together, that was really interesting to me. I was always a fan of two-person comedy, and so watching them together, and then watching like you know, you know Shaun of the Dead, and uh, you know Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, and 
and seeing how their two-person comedy worked. I around that time, I, I just started to really think like I I love how they're um, how they're bouncing off each other. I always I always love that. Um, so yeah, so I think SNL was definitely on the radar, but so was a lot of show, you know, Monty Python and uh, this is Spinal Tap. I watched that with my older brother and um, those ideas of taking things very serious that are very silly uh, was very appealing to me. But then when you actually, you know, went out to LA to try to do this, your first gigs were not in, in comedy, right? They were not. And, you know, I think for me, I, I grew up in a household where we watched, you know, we would definitely watch movies and, and um, you know, I was very familiar and I, I appreciate a lot of like uh, old school, like Polish cinema, like Kislowski and his you know, blue, white, red uh, trilogy and, um, in some ways, I've, I've always loved drama. I just really love drama. And when I moved to LA, I actually, um, the first thing I knew, I realized was like, okay, I want to really dive deeper into um, studying acting. And so I signed up for an acting class and that kind of really helped me. Um, you know, and one of the things that my acting instructor said right away was we're not going to do any comedy, which was terrifying. <laughs> yeah. And uh but it was ultimately very helpful because it helped me, I guess, um, be more vulnerable, uh, look for, you know, the, the most honest approach and, and, um, and stretch myself more. And so some of the first roles I got were like ER, um, on NBC was <laughs> one of my pretty first good shows early oh, on. Yeah. West, so Wing. West Wing, West Wing was my first line, uh, guest list for the Cleveland event, which was terrifying. <laughs> uh, a lot of walk and talks oh, in yeah. uh, the West Wing. You gotta be on um, top of it. Ooh, you gotta get in there quick. And, um, and then Gilmore Girls. Um, so some of, some of these sort of in between where they, you know, the, to the tone is finding the tone and, um, is part of the game. Um, but were I you doing? I, were you doing the whole pilot season thing at a certain point, or was it just sort of auditioning for guest roles, or, or how did that go for you? All of the above. Uh, I did a showcase. Um, actually, it was through Second City. I did a showcase um, at NBC, and um, that—it's uh, actually where I, you know, found my first agent, manager, and I think the casting directors from The West Wing were there. So that's how I got um, that first role, and then. Yeah, I was doing pilot season for years. I actually still had a day job because um, I needed it. <laughs> and so I would go on auditions whenever I could. My wife and I really just, we packed up our car, moved to LA, and then I was, yeah, doing the whole audition circuit, going out for pilot season, booked a few pilots. Some of the pilots didn't go. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's, I moved out here in 2005 and the community was 2009. So it was about four years yeah, of auditioning. As far as that goes, it's not bad. Yeah. It's, that's pretty good. Uh, I think for a lot compared to what a lot of people go through, um, oh, you got miraculous. community after four years. So what, so how were you sort of feeling about your career, where you were, what was going on when community came up? I think I'm fortunate because uh, when Community came up, I was a little bit older. Um, I'd already been out of college. I had been auditioning. I moved from Chicago. I'd been doing a lot of um, sketch comedy. And um, I guess it was a surprise because in some ways I just wasn't expecting it. Like I said, I had a full-time job and was hopeful that something would hit, but just really never knew if it would. You know, I think I was, I guess, in some ways programmed to believe like you always have to have a job, a job, and then you know, if, if it works great, but if it doesn't, you still have to find balance and happiness without it. Right. And, um, and so then when I read community, the script came my way, I was terrified because I was like, this is it, this feels right. And it's, it was a show I knew I would watch right away and be a fan of. 
uh, it felt very personal. It um, it just felt like it was uh, uh, someone wrote it and threw it at me. You know, like Dan Harmon, like literally wrote it and threw it at me. And <laughs> was uh, Abed was Abed always the character that was that you were going out for, or was there any question there about auditioning for different roles or? There was, and my agent at the time uh, actually sent me the email, and I remember they wrote in, um, you know, above the email, they wrote, uh, here's the role you were born to play, something along those lines, uh, which uh, what they've that never mean said to you? anything. Uh, well, even more terror. Um, and um, it made me immediately try, uh, like, you know, in some ways you try to... Um, uh, play these mental tricks where you're just like, it's whatever. If it happens, it happens, whatever. It's probably not that great or whatever, you know, just to calm myself down. Then I read it and I was like, Oh no, this is the role I want to, I want to play. It's uh, yeah. What was it about Abed that made it the role that you were destined to play? I, I think that there was this, uh, there was this idea of this character that's in the middle of, uh, of the action, the middle of this study group, who just sees things differently. Um, and um, I could always relate to that. You know, I grew up, like I said, I grew up mixed race. I, I was um, in many ways the only person like me in a room. And, and I always remember that feeling as a kid where I'd go into a room and I always felt like there's nobody else like me here, you know? Um, and sometimes that was pointed out, sometimes it wasn't, but there was, it, was, it was something that I was very much in tune with. Um, what that was like. Um, I, I remember being like, uh, the, uh, you know, the only Indian kid in school. And th there's just something different about that. Um, and that experience, I think, uh, was something I could really relate to. Um, in terms of Abed, I just think that there was something really playful about how he saw the world, which I loved. And, um, and it had this great, ens I, I always love ensemble comedies. He had this great sort of um, energy within the group, a very specific point of view within a very specific group's point of view. So it was kind of hitting on all these things. I love The Office. I love Saturday Night Live, Second City, had this ensemble feel. And then there was this character at the, at the center of it with this a massive heart, but also a really fun point of view that I thought would be just so exciting to, um, to play. What was the audition process like? Because it's a very specific character. It's also a character that has to have an incredible range because you're doing all these different genres. You're, you know, impersonating members of the group. You're channeling Don Draper. You're doing all of these different things, um, which I guess you might not have known when you were auditioning. But what was that process like of uh, of, of getting the role? It was a number of auditions. Uh, I auditioned maybe three times. And then I think like it was either the third or the fourth audition was a chemistry read with Joel McHale. And prior to this, I actually did a pilot with Joel McHale. So you mentioned uh, pilot season. One of the pilots I did was called Giants of Radio uh, with Joel McHale uh, and Jason Weiner directed it, uh, director of Modern Family. And it was a great pilot. I played a sound engineer. Joel played like a bigwig of a, uh, of a new radio uh, conglomerate that comes over and takes over this radio station. And so I'd worked with him briefly during this pilot. And um, so then we show up to this chemistry. I don't think he remembered me at all, uh, <laughs> so, which was kind of a fun bit that we played with each other because it was like was perfect to yeah, the, the Abed. <laughs> yeah, the Abed and Jeff Winger relationship. And I, I just remember that chemistry changed everything because Joel was so generous and, you know, you go in, you read the same scene over and over again, and um, it can 
it can become repetitive. And uh, I just remember feeling once that chemistry hit, something different. There was new layers. Um, um, I was finding new things with Abed. And I think we had this really fun, playful dynamic with each other. And that was amazing. And then after that, we had the screen test, which was uh, scary because you're, this was, you go into, I think it was NBC, and you go into a packed room with all these executives. No one's laughing anymore because they've seen you do this like, you know, 20 <laughs> times. And you're, you're just being taped. And, um, and I think that was like the fourth or fifth audition. So at that point, I was just... I was just hopeful, you know, but um, I, uh, I do remember thinking that I was getting closer and closer and I truly felt like um, if this happens, it would be just, uh, just a wonderful gift. Yeah. Um, I feel like one thing that sort of is that viewers sort of understand about Abed, but is never really explicitly laid out is that um, he is on the autism spectrum in some way. Um, and I was curious if that was something that you all had conversations with about behind the scenes. Does this mean that that you talked to Dan Harmon about at any point early on, or um, is that is something that you thought about while you were playing him at all? We didn't talk about it much. We definitely talked specifically about what Abed was going through many times, and I think that was uh, a conversation that was happening. Uh, Dan and I frequently, if I had questions about what was taking place or. Um, if there was um, questions about Abed's point of view in this scene, where's he coming from? Where uh, those were the conversations we were having a lot of at the time, um, and I needed, you know, obviously I needed a lot of uh, guidance, and I was appreciative of that. That uh, I guess the channels were open, and we were having a lot of those conversations where, um, you know, and and that was a- across the board too. You know, like I said, this was my ma- first main like big TV role. So um, uh, I was learning a lot on the fly, and I'm not a pop culture expert in any way. Uh, I definitely grew up with with pop culture, <laughs> but I was like a more of a sports fan growing up. I was a huge like Chicago sports fan, the Bulls, and uh, but in terms of like um, you know um, you know Abbott has this sort of encyclopedic knowledge uh, of TV, film, and in many ways that's the lens that. He was, um, Abed was, was, um, you know, entering the world or seeing the world. And, um, uh, Dan was very helpful and a lot of the writers too, in helping me, um, understand it more, get in touch with that more. Oh my God. Are you charting our menstrual cycles? What? Gross. Abed, this is so personal. It's so accurate. Abed, this is really creepy. I don't understand why you would do this. I can explain. Oh, I thought you'd keep yelling over me. Okay, I can explain. You know I have trouble reading people and I say the wrong things sometimes, and I noticed it was happening more often with you three than it was with the others. And then I noticed fluctuating patterns and I started graphing them. And by the time I realized what I was actually measuring, it had started to yield really positive results for everybody, so I kept doing it. Were you ever going to tell us about this? I I feel so violated. (laughs) Thanks. More chocolate? (laughs) Get away from me! I wondered if you have heard from fans of the show because their show has such intense fans that really related to him in that way and that it was meaningful for them to see someone who who was like them. Definitely, definitely. And that is uh, one of the greatest and most unexpected gifts of this of this show. I I meet people on the street, people um write me letters and you kind of never expect that. I never expected the show to last. 
I never expected this show to air. <laughs> I remember filming this show and typically uh, shows uh, that I've been into that I've watched that are a little bit more offbeat don't last or and our show was one of those shows that was threatened to be canceled or just didn't feel like it was going to have a long um, yeah, run. It was, it was on the bubble a lot. It was on the bubble a lot. And I, and a lot of that energy we applied to the filming process. It felt like we were just going for it and trying things. And I think that helped um, create this, uh, this sort of feeling that this was something unique, that this was tapping into something that uh, a lot of people haven't seen before. For me personally, I definitely grew up without seeing anyone like me that I could relate to on screen. Uh, and um, in some ways, being able to play Abed and have a character that other people haven't seen or can relate to now that just feels like so special and so beautiful. Was not expecting that. And um, I'm just very, very grateful, grateful for that. Coming up, how the hashtag six seasons and a movie is finally about to become a reality, and how Danny is feeling about getting back into Abed's skin. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to our episodes with some of the comedic actors Danny has shared the screen with over the years, including Community's Alison Brie, Mythic Quest's Naomi Ekparagin, and Cougar Town's Busy Phillips, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Danny Pudi. As you said, the show was never really expected to last as long as it did, and it changed networks, and and obviously Dan left and came back. Um, when and how did Six Seasons and a Movie become a thing that you were aware of that that either it was, it was spelled out in the show, but also being talked about outside of the show? Um, how did that happen? So it was in the show. You know, Abed was referencing a show called The Cape, and... Uh, it, you know, Abed becomes this massive fan of the show, The Cape, that was on NBC. It becomes this joke in the show and about Abed really wishing that this show is going to last for six seasons in a movie. And then it became like this really call to action from our fans, you know, for our show, which I loved. I think our show was frequently, and I think Dan did a great job and the writers of really reflecting what was what 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 was uh, what the fans were feeling, you know. 
And I think the writing is so specific. And I think Dan was very in touch with um, that feeling. And, and um, so after that scene where Abbott goes in with a cape and knocks over Joe McHale's tray, Jeff Winger's tray in the cafeteria and yells six seasons in a movie, that just became this thing. And again, we would show up to Comic-Con and people would be yelling these things, yelling six seasons in a movie or um, wearing felt goatees and saying, uh, and saying, are you, you know, evil Abed or wearing <laughs> inspector space time outfits, handmade. And, uh, it, it was just a beautiful thing to see how the fans embraced this show. And they became truly a part of this show. And, uh, so that's, that just kind of over time really became this, this rally. I don't think we ever really believed it would happen. I still don't. <laughs> Some, yeah. You're still, still holding your breath. Is, Still holding my breath, but uh, but it's looking really likely, and, um, and we're pumped. This is the realest it's ever seemed, I would say. Um, For sure, yeah. Was there a was there a tipping point that kind of uh, brought it to fruition, or that it, that you know, made it so that it is that now is the time to to have it happen? I don't know. I think you'd have to ask Dan about that, but I think it, for for us, when we had the ten year reunion, there was. Uh, there was just this moment with all of us where it just felt really good to be back together and it just felt right, you know? So I think that was maybe a moment where it felt really good. And then we had this, you know, this, uh, this zoom and, you know, Pedro Pascal was on it too. And we read the script <laughs> and uh, it was just so funny and so fun to be back together. Even though it was over zoom, we, I, I just remember we were all talking afterwards and, you know, um, feeling like, wouldn't this be fun if we were actually in person doing something like this again? So I, I think over the last couple of years, it's really gotten stronger, the feel. And I think it's the world too. I think there's this re reflective, this reflective feeling that many of us are having. I am at least uh, of, um, it feels really good to, um, to think about some of the things that, um, that, that mean a lot to us. And one of them is, you know, this, these relationships with these people and, um, I'm, I'm very deeply, deeply thankful for it. And it, wouldn't it be fun to go back and, and try it again? How do you feel about the, the process of returning to the character of Abed and, and inhabiting that again? And do you think about, you know, I don't know if you've seen any scripts yet or anything, but do you think about what that will be like to, to play him again? I do. I've definitely been thinking about it. I am nervous. I'm definitely a little nervous. It's been a while, but I'm also very, very excited. So I've had some conversations, um, uh, you know, with the team about it. And I'm trying to get any intel I can so I could just start preparing for it. Um, and, um, but I'm, I'm very excited. It was such a, a, a fun, yeah, like you said, a fun character in a world to inhabit that I'm excited to see what it feels like again after, I don't know, 10 years. When I talked to Allison, she was pretty doubtful that Chevy Chase would be back in any way. Um, yeah, I guess especially because his character was killed off in the show. Although you can always uh, you can always play with that and flashbacks and everything. Um, <laughs> do you have Do you have any uh, any thoughts on on him returning in any way, or if uh, if that's something that that you think is possible? No thoughts. I try not to. Uh make any projections. Uh, I tried, that was one thing I always tried to do even on set. Like, like you were saying, I tried not to have too many conversations unless I had specific questions about the world. Uh, or I felt like there was a part of the script, uh, or a story arc that I fully, uh, that I couldn't fully, um, understand or didn't feel, didn't feel confident enough walking onto set. 
Um, the rest of it, I would leave to Dan and the writers because they were such uh, so incredible about crafting it that I wanted to keep that kind of almost distance a little bit. And um, and it's the same with this. I'll let them decide what the story's going to be, who's going to be in it. Um, and then if I have questions, I'll definitely ask them. Yeah, it seems like as much as everyone talks about how warm of a um, community community was, uh, that he may have been a little bit of an outlier in that way, um, just from the stories that have come out. What what was your relationship like with him when you were working together? It was actually okay. It was actually okay. I think, you know, one thing that I've always tried to do in my life is, is try to just be cool, <laughs> cool yeah. people, you know? And cool, so cool, I, cool. I, yeah, I try not to let other people's energy affect my energy too much. That's I'm that is something I'm working on. I still continue to work on, but that's important to me. So, um, you know, um I just I just I think for everyone, um I want everyone to feel like it's a um a positive, constructive, safe, funny place to walk into and um that's that's the main thing. Yeah, I think everyone is also very um hopeful that Donald Glover will be involved in some way. Um, and he's someone who you obviously worked so closely with on the show. When you when you were talking about uh, two-person comedy teams, I immediately thought of the bits that you would do um, at the end of the show with him. Um, do you are, are there any of those that really stand out in your memory of, um, of getting to, to work with him in that way? So many of them. I, I think that is another part of the show that we didn't predict would happen. Because those those tags were something that were added on later, but it wasn't something that was initially written in the show or even talked about when we started filming. It was just something that we started doing naturally. Uh, Dan wrote the the La Biblioteca rap after seeing me and Donald do this impromptu rap and uh, scripted a rap for us, and then it became just this this you know this this snowball. It just kind of became this thing that we would do once a week. Um, at the end of a, a shoot day, we'd have somebody who'd come down with this idea, and then <laughs> sometimes it would be fully fleshed out and, and and crazy. Where I would tell, you know, Donald, you have to believe, and they would have a, a painting on a wall for him to run into. <laughs> um, and sometimes it was just an idea that, like Yvette Nicole Brown came up with this idea of, uh, of me and Donald being Bert and Ernie, and then we were trying to riff and figure out a way to makes makes it. I love that one. Hey, Abed. Hey, Troy. Here's the Spanish book I borrowed. Thank you. Did you finally get your own book? Something like that. Wait a second. <laughs> it's okay. Let's have cookies. Okay. cousin's funeral today. Oh, that was, that was today. I knew there was some reason I couldn't do this today. And I think that was something really creative about that. It always felt like we were, in those moments especially, it really felt like we were getting away with something. And, um, you know, it, it had to be 30 seconds long. It had to be funny, obviously. And, uh, it, and it was just this really wonderful, uh, collaborative, free space. To, just do something funny that's not even tied story-wise to the show. So there was this extra space to go to places uh, and expand our friendship, which I think was really cool because then inevitably that friendship was stronger than that in the next episode. I think everyone in the show, in the cast has gone on to pretty incredible things. Um, but I think, it, it, you know, Donald, especially with Atlanta and everything else that he's done, could you ever, um, what, what has it been like to, 
to watch him and and everyone, you know, sort of flourish after the show and find their voices in different ways. I think one of the things that I realized right away is when I landed in that study room and we were just sitting around the table between takes after the pilot, I felt like, you know, there's that term lightning in a bottle. I definitely felt like whatever was going to happen with this show, this group of people is very special and unique. And if there was a topic, everyone would come at it from a different point of view. And it was so funny. We were always laughing so hard on set and also learning a ton. It it was just like this wonderful film school uh, kind of experience where we go around the table and uh, you just kind of, I just kind of felt like I was like a witness. I just felt like I can't believe I'm here amongst all these people, you know? Um, and you know, watching Donald is, yeah, you just always knew that he had this, um, you know, he came from a, a writing perspective too, right? So he came from 30 rock and Donald and I always vibe with the sort of like sketch comedy background. Cause he worked with Derek comedy and there was this, um, this ability to kind of, we could throw anything at each other and Donald would always come up with something that was, um, just unique. It was, you know, A to C, you know, it was, it was, it was something always that was, uh, uh, unexpected and, and just so funny. So, and he was also starting to work on music and I could, I could just see, you know, that like, obviously his, is immensely talented and, you know, he would play us music and I'd be like, okay, you're, you're onto <laughs> something, you're on another level here. Um, but across, across the room, you know, I would, be watching Jim Rash, who won an Oscar. I would be, you know, talking to Joel, Gillian, Allison, and, you know, all the references I didn't get, I knew they would get. Uh, I would listen to Yvette sing, and her voice is, like, extraordinary. And in moments where we're doing these, these um, you know, um, Glee episodes, I would hear Yvette sing, and I'd be like, yeesh. I mean, like, let's, <laughs> let's give her the solos. Give her the, like, there's just all these le- layers of talent around the table, um, that it, it felt special to be a part of. And I, you know, and then of course, Ken Jung walks into the room and, uh, you know, then everyone is laughing. So it's, um, it just felt really special. And so over the years, seeing each of them achieve all their different levels of success and, and, um, seeing them grow as artists and humans has been, um, just really special and, and cool to watch. Yeah. Um, what was the experience like for you after those six seasons ended and it was time to to walk away from the show? I mean, and not really know what you what you were going to do next. Um, how did that go for you? A lot of mixed feelings. You know, during the show, my life went through a lot of changes. I had kids. My wife, Bridget, and I had had babies during the show. And, and so when the show ended, they were very little. So there was this whole like life upheaval as well. Then the show ended and it was such a full experience it was just a full out experience we filmed long hours the show was constantly on the bubble there was all this uh a lot of emotion into it it just felt like a show that we were putting our hearts all of our i was putting all of my energy into it really was and then to just have it end it did feel like what do i do now (laughs) how do i how do i do something knowing that i just walked away from a family that i love and that is extremely talented, so many gifted artists, incredible writing, um, directed by, you know, obviously the Russo brothers and Justin Lin and all, all these incredible directors. There was just so much that was there and it felt like uh, just this 
um, this really just full experience after six seasons, you know? Yeah. So, how do you, you follow know, I, that? <laughs> I don't know. The answer is, I don't know. And, um, you know, I did a pilot, I did a couple pilots actually, actually afterwards. And, um, I was hopeful for both of them. Neither of those pilots went, unfortunately. And, um, and then it was just sort of this idea of like, you know, just being open to finding the next role. I definitely, I think, struggled with um, wondering if I would find something as um, as special, as specific, as as connecting as Abed. Um, uh, wondering if anybody could, uh, if if I was able to be seen in a way uh, that was uh, unlike that character as yeah, well. Yeah, you can definitely so get put in a me. box when you when you are doing a long running show like that. I mean, I'm I'm sure there are dozens of sitcom stars who have felt that. You know. Yeah, yeah, and so I I I had all those feelings, you know, and um, you know, you just I guess over time, um, work has sort of um, led to MythiQuest, like it came not that long after, which was really exciting because it was a chance to work with Megan Gans, who had actually worked on Community, but also was presented me with a role that was unlike Abed and um, something very unique that I thought was. Uh, something I hadn't done before and it would challenge me in new ways. And, you know, we just finished our third season. I'm loving it. It's a um, great show with a lot of uh, really talented um, cast members. Um, I've been able to direct for the first time on this show. Oh, yeah, that's so great. I feel like it's been cool, like to be able to step into a different, uh, different world. And uh, I'm just really thankful for it. I've had a lot of fun playing Brad, who is a, uh, I guess, playful sociopath, however you want to <laughs> look at him. <laughs> Yeah, you're getting to getting to play a more villainous character, which is which you got to do sort of in in bits and pieces on Community, I guess, but not a uh, not as not in a long running yeah, way. Yeah, it's nice to really embrace that side of me. It's good. It's, it's <laughs> cathartic. <laughs> yeah. Do you think the Community fans are disturbed by seeing you, you know, embrace your your evil side fully? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they might like it. They might just. Uh, I think they're just probably wondering, like most people, is like which timeline are we in? You know, and I think that's that's a question for all of us right now. Yeah, definitely. Are you familiar with DuckTales? What? DuckTales. It's a cartoon from my youth that had a profound impact on me. Scrooge McDuck, the uh, wealthy, swashbuckling patriarch of his family, owned a money bin. It's like this silo-like structure that was so full of gold coins and other currency he could swim in it as easily as a poor duck could swim in water. It's my dream to build my own money bin so I too can bathe in my hoarded wealth. What the fuck are you talking about? That's what my architect said to me. But then I wrote him a check and he got right to work. You see, Rachel, that's the thing about money. Its value is meaningless. Unless it brings you happiness in the form of things you love. Like becoming a cartoon duck? So now it's time for our segment called The First Laugh. So I'm going to run through some firsts in your career uh, around uh, comedy, and, and we can we can run through these to end. Um, and going all the way back to childhood, do you remember the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard as a kid? I would say it's probably Monty Python. And when we're finished this, I'll probably remember the actual first thing. But um, a vivid memory is um, seeing the knights in Holy Grail uh, walking around with a coconut and having a conversation about um, the speed of swallows, maybe, and um, just hearing a horse's hearing a horse and then seeing 
someone jogging with coconuts. I think that image to me <laughs> yeah. is probably one it's of the classic. First. Yeah. Do you remember the first time that you knew you were funny, that you had the ability to make other people laugh? I think I do. I was in maybe fourth grade and we had to write a story uh, and then present it in front of the class. I was very nervous. I was a, a, a rule follower at the time <laughs> that changed quickly, but I, <laughs> Was, I would say in some ways a little bit more introverted and quiet. And I wrote a story um, inspired by Woodstock, um, the bird in Peanuts. Okay. And, not the festival. Uh, not the festival. And uh, I wrote a story about a bird flying over a town, and it made people laugh. I remember going up in front of the class and see uh, talking about um, uh, this bird um, that um, was flying over this this town and and looking for a good place to land. I don't even remember what the story is about. I just remember that um, kids laughed, and I was in front of the classroom, and I thought, this is cool. I think I want to do this again. We talked a little bit about auditions, um, and I always like hearing audition stories. Um, is there a, is there an audition story from you know early on in your career that stands out, maybe uh, that either didn't go very well or something you you know didn't end up getting but is a, is a memorable story now? So there was uh, a play I, I auditioned for, and I had a callback for it. And at the time, I didn't have a computer. It was when I first moved to L.A., and the I think the agency or my manager had called and said, hey, the director wants to see you on Skype right now. Um, where are you? And I was like, I am actually near the Grove, which is in Los Angeles. And they're like, okay, uh, can you maybe just go to the Apple store and see if you can get on Skype? And um uh, I was like, what? Like right now? And she's like, they're like, yeah, I think she needs to see you right now for this. And I was like, okay. So I went to the Apple store, uh, <laughs> a really helpful employee, um, patient, kind. Uh, and they helped me log on. And next thing you know, I was doing a really uh, <laughs> a loud monologue, a very loud monologue in the Apple store at the Grove, um, <laughs> trying to encourage this guy to, to, uh, find his most authentic self. And um, I got the part. So that was the, the best part of it. But as I left the Apple store, and I had, you know, I left with, you know, a bunch of employees and customers behind me, um, I did feel for a moment like, uh, what am I doing? What am I doing? <laughs> Is this worth it? Is this worth it? Is this my life? Yeah. Is this it? Yeah. Um, another uh, surreal moment that I feel like we can't leave without talking about um is the first time that you, uh, well, probably not the first time, but the a, a big time that you became a meme uh, on the Larry King uh, talk show, the uh, I'm on DuckTales moment, uh, which is now very famous. Uh, a luxury you can't live without. A luxury I can't live without coffee. I really like good it's coffee. It's not a luxury you can get it anywhere. Uh, I guess, yeah, I like good coffee. What's, uh, I love coffee, too. I like nice socks. Socks. Your, your socks, would you put in your shoes? Yeah, I really love them. I like kind of like, you know, cozy feet. You're attracted to your socks. I'm attracted to really nice running socks. Like, I'm always looking for good running you know, socks. Not, that's not a luxury, though. Coffee and socks are not a luxury. All right, give me a luxury. Which, what luxury should I have? Private plane. Larry, I'm on DuckTales and <laughs> Mythic Quest. There's no pli private planes for me. <laughs> Basically, I watched the whole the whole interview with with Larry King, and it's it's very the whole thing is very bizarre. But um, what do you what do you remember from that experience? And did you realize at the time uh, that that was going to become a thing? 
First of all, thank you. <laughs> I, that's my, I wa- always want that takeaway. Hey, Danny, we watched your interview. Very bizarre. Uh, that's that's the first thing I want everyone to take away. Um, Larry was always really actually wonderful uh, with me, and I appreciated that whenever I would speak with him. I got to speak with him. I was fortunate a few times. Conversation would veer off into, uh, I mean, a lot of non sequiturs, tangents. Yeah. You guys could have had like a, a sitcom or something. I think you, you it, had a good, was, uh, good energy. It was great. It was great, and uh, he would let he let you talk. But then all of a sudden, in the middle, he would just kind of ask a question out of the blue that definitely wasn't covered in the pre-interview. And I always loved that because I didn't know where what we were going to talk about. I knew like I was uh, arriving to talk about one thing, and then inevitably the conversation would turn to luxuries uh like our our socks and um and coffee and then after that happened um right after that happened all of a sudden i started getting a couple deliveries um I, someone dropped off a bag of coffee a bunch of people started dropping off socks uh to my house and i was uh very happy about that <laughs> but again didn't expect that that we would be talking about um my luxuries <laughs> Um, what about the the first time that you met one of your comedy heroes, uh, someone who you just really looked up to, and and the experience of meeting them for the first time? Mm, comedy heroes. I'm trying to think of like who would be. Um, I mean, through community, we were fortunate to, uh, to to meet so many people. You know, like oh my goodness, I, I remember we were Jack Black, Buddy was on our show, and that to me was really I was such a big fan of Jack Black, so that was really cool. Um, you know, I got to work with Simon Pegg, um, um, through Justin Lin, I was, um, I was in Star Trek. I got to play an alien and, uh, that was incredible just for me because I'd always been a big fan of, uh, like I said, Shaun of the Dead and, um, their movies. I, he, that was really, really cool just to kind of just chill with them and, and, and talk and, um, I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to name one. There, there's been so many over the years that I've just been, um, you know, fortunate to to run into. Finally, is there a story or memory from your career that makes you laugh now, but really was not funny when it happened? Oh my gosh, that sounds like most of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Memoir title, possibly. Uh, P. And when I met him, I was dressed as. Jamie Lee Curtis in True Lies <laughs> in a very tight dress and makeup. Uh, we were uh, at Paramount. And again, that's that's another time where you're meeting Master P. And he, I don't think I explained why I was dressed like the way I was dressed. And it was just one of those moments that I, I just remember thinking, like removing myself and like, you know, kind of hovering above my body being like, what are what an interesting thing happening here. <laughs> that well, was, how did he, how did he react? Totally calm, chill, like you know. Yeah, <laughs> I thought I it was mean, normal. This there was no, I mean, no no questions asked. I mean, that was like just just like you know. I mean, uh, that's you know. I think I think about some of the people that I met, like Danny DeVito, and I got to meet him at Comic Con. I got to meet Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal at Comic Con, things like that. Uh, I love some of those moments that uh, I just kind of can remove myself for a second because I'm just a fan and be like, this is actually happening right now. This is, <laughs> this is, this is quite unusual. But yeah, that Master P moment was definitely one of those that I'm like, this is, it's just like a weird moment, real weird moment. Yeah. I'm sure you've had a lot of uh, surreal moments and, and many more to come. Um, so 
thank you so much for doing this and yeah. uh and um, I've always been a big fan of yours and Community was a, a show that always meant a lot to me. So this has been really fun to talk with you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Oh, man. I want to thank Danny Pudi again for spending so much time with me on the podcast today. That was really, really fun. Somebody I Used to Know is streaming now on Amazon Prime Video. And we'll put a link to the film in the description for this episode as well. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at LastLaughPod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.